together we're two sisters who are here to help you learn some tips and tricks to help navigate this crazy journey called life. We bring you the perspective of a licensed LMHC therapist and expecting mother. And a slightly eccentric mom of two. When you combine us as scissors, we like to consider ourselves as quite the dynamic duo. So join us as we talk about all life has to offer. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about anxiety. I get this question all the time. What is anxiety and how does it operate? So Britt, just a basic kind of summary of what we're going to do in these next four episodes. We broke it down into four different episodes. We're going to first talk about what anxiety is. That's this episode today. And just get a base understanding, make sure that we all have the same definition that we're working with, right? Yep. The next one's going to be what it looks like. Third episode is going to be how does it look in different ages and how does it apply? Because believe it or not, it does change. And the last one is going to be more about resources and how to help people and when it's time to go get outside help. Perfect. I'm excited. This is our right. jam. <laughs> <laughs> this is I, our lives. <laughs> I've got the anxiety. Let's talk about it. Uh, so <laughs> It's funny because this subject always comes up and I'm like, this is me. And this is Bernie. And this is- oh my gosh. Hello world. This is me. <laughs> so, okay, Britt, what do you think anxiety is? Because I feel like every time I work with a client, they always look at me like, I don't have anxiety. And I'm like, no, you definitely have anxiety. But it, I just oh. hear different, different um, definitions. So I'm curious what you think a general population thinks anxiety is. Well, I mean, as someone who's been diagnosed with anxiety, I know that it's like varied at different times in my life and after different milestones, like after becoming a first time mother, after becoming a second time mother, after, you know, shifts in career. But a lot of times for me, anxiety is just where my my brain just won't stop working. Like it just worries all the time. I over-exaggerate things in my brain. I worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, Constantly, I know a doctor had told me my flight or flight or fight or flight was always engaged. Mm-hmm. Like I was just always ready to take on the world and stressed out about something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's not really full definition, but for me, that's what it feels like. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Right. So for yeah. a lot of people, when I am like, maybe it's anxiety, we got to like kind of assess for that and diagnose for that. A lot of times they come out to me and be like, I don't have that because I'm not like the person having breakdowns in the corner. A lot of people think you have to have like panic or anxiety attacks to have to qualify for this definition. Right. Or they think that you have to be a really high strung personality and they're really chill. Like your little dude is super chill, but he still has anxiety. It just looks very different from what you think it would be. Right. Right. So different than mine and my daughters. Exactly. So that's where it doesn't necessarily look the same for everybody, but what we're looking for is the definition on Google which we'll just use that, is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So basically (laughs) what we're looking for is do you struggle with not being in control of things or do you overanalyze things? Do you just get exhausted from really being in that defensive, I have to be on guard kind of mode? We all do this, by the way. This is a normal, if you didn't have anxiety, you probably wouldn't be here. And that's... um, because of the evolutionary psychology. Have you heard of that one? Uh, no, but I'm picturing an inside out. Isn't that the little like purple guy nervousness or <laughs> no, he's like the perfect guy. His name is fear. fear. He is. Fear is like perfect on that one. He like totally summarizes anxiety. So we'll talk about the evolutionary psychology and just a little bit more talking about um, kind of what it is, but just the base summary of that one is talking about how we 
as a species have evolved over time to start presenting certain characteristics more because we are the people that oh, survived. Yeah. So like it's Darwin. Darwinism. 100%, which for okay. those that don't remember Darwinism, because it was back in the day for us learning it, that's the concept of over time, certain personality traits, characteristic traits, things like that got survival traits, out. survival traits got picked yeah. over other ones because that was a partner that was more going to survive in the wilderness or going to be a better provider or whatever it is. So you look at there's certain times where height was taller than other times or you know there's characteristic traits we can track through generations i remember you look at like um we went to belize back last year and they had the mayans were so tiny of people they could curl up on these little beds right that was their evolution pool that was their like genetic pool that they had versus other places like german or nordic people are known for their height right, right. that was the characteristics they had so what we're looking at is there are psychological traits or psychological genes that pass this down so that's why you and I got the anxiety stick it was a <laughs> yes but that's why when I say everybody has it which yeah. is what got me onto this rant um is because all of us probably came from people that survived well obviously we came from people that survived right because they right. were survivable we're enough to pass on a genetic <laughs> trait and most likely they're going to carry anxiety because they're aware enough to be like there's a snake I need to watch out for that snake or I need to watch out for whatever and they had that survival instinct of fight or flight and that's where it just got really hyped over this period of time everybody has it to some extent now this is where we're going to talk about anxiety and the extreme extent in this episode so yes normal to have like uncertainty Yes. Okay. And I think we talked about this like briefly in the last episode. I think I'd mentioned my daughter, right? Where she mm -hmm. was diagnosed with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, she's 11 for those of you who don't know her. Um, and the doctor had said that a good baseline was let's see when it's affecting daily life instead of just like it might be something through puberty or it might be just like through a different transition. Yep. So what does this look like to officially, you know, have anxiety? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes what we're looking for is like what the doctor said. Is it affecting day-to-day -day life, right? But you can usually see there is a certain pattern of thought processes that accompany an anxiety person, anxious person, that's better. Yeah. Um, and the five ones that I've learned over time are overanalyzing, catastrophizing, broken record, what ifs, spiraling, or rabbit holing. Should okay. we go into each of those? Absolutely. Let's start with overanalyzing my favorite at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, Britt, what is overanalyzing? <laughs> overanalyzing is when you sit there and all of a sudden, like for me, sometimes it'll be something stupid like, crap, I left the air conditioner on in my office. And so then my head automatically goes to, I left the air conditioner on at the office, which means that I could cause a fire because that AC unit is going to spark a... I don't know, Wait, fire in the middle of the night. You just no, slid I, into two other ones. Oh, and I guess that's, that's catastrophizing. It's, it's catastrophizing with lips. <gasps> and yeah. that's where it gets messy. So if we were to have a pure looking over analysis one, it would be, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I did that. Can you believe I did that? Like, why did oh, I say that? In front I of did that, that all the time. I shouldn't have said that in front of the group. It's more of a retroactive one in the past, yeah. right? So it's more about like, can you believe that this actually You happened? and I did that yesterday. We had that social encounter with a friend and it yep. was innocent enough. And you and I both overanalyzed that moment where we had said 
too much information to this, you know, mutual friend of ours. And at the end of it, we were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I said this and we shouldn't have said this. And we're so weird. And then you would say the same thing. And your husband was like, calm down. It's over. Don't worry about it. That was a friend of yours. Yeah. So we start picking it apart. And then our behavior after we started picking it apart slid into shaming. We're like, we're terrible socializers. We should (laughs) never be. I'm such a bad friend and sister. And it's like, I failed you, sister. I did not mean to call you out. And that's that's where you can see how quickly these behaviors slide, right? Like it went from overanalyzing immediately to, can you believe we're so bad? And it's yeah. like, our friend doesn't even like us anymore. Yeah, we're like, do they <laughs> like us? I don't know. And it's so funny because we're sincerely worried like you know so that's overanalyzing if you're just to take it as its own right okay another thing I guess like from like you know puberty times would be overly analyzing oh my gosh I talked to that guy today and my you know I had a booger in my nose and so then later you overanalyze like does he like me does he still not does he you know just like our all my teens come in and they're like I look so stupid today. You know, and it's just like, okay, honey, that doesn't even matter. And it's usually over things that don't even matter, but they're so fixated on that past thing that they can't let it go. Okay. Um, The next one is catastrophizing. Like you gave the example of, oh my goodness, I didn't unplug the printer. What if my office is set on fire? What if things blow up? Right. I am the worst where I'll like miss a text, like being pregnant. I am terrible at texting. And then a client will text me. And two days later, I'll be like, oh my goodness, they're going to think I hate them. I failed them. What if they're not safe? Like, did I, you know, like what happened? And it's, honestly they're they're probably just fine right because if they weren't they would have texted me a couple times or something or I didn't respond to an email and my whole business is gonna fall apart like all the time (laughs) oh my husband laughs at me all the time because he'll be like okay like seriously Taylor it's really like crazy like it's just extra you know (laughs) where I'm like going from zero to a hundred so it's just that really clear thought process of oh my goodness, things are going to be terrible. What ifs are super similar? So you're going to start seeing all of these are pretty similar and they roll into each other. The what if one is- No, 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 not yet. You're on broken record next. No, I'm going to go to the what ifs because they're related to catastrophizing. We'll go to broken record, I promise. (laughs) But um, that one looks a lot like catastrophizing of like, this is going to happen. What if this happens or this happens? However, it is really the what if game. What if I- you know, don't do this paper right, and then I fail, and then I don't get into college. Then it'll slide into catastrophizing, right? Oh, These, yeah. This is a beginning start, and it's just asking all those questions of if this happens or what if this happens. You can see this with little kids a lot where they're like, well, what if I go on the swing or what if I try and befriend this person and they don't like me? You know, it's all those questions of like uh, unknowns, and it's a very future-based one. Oh, yeah. And I can think of a perfect example of this. Um, When we were in Hawaii a couple years ago and Matson was there with us and I totally had a panic attack. Remember about like diving with the manta rays? Yeah. Remember all that? Yeah. And I totally what if and catastrophize. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't go dive with the manta rays because if I drown in the ocean, who's going to take care of my kids? And what's going to happen? Because we're all going to be in the ocean. And like, I was... Matson is so good at like ponying. Oh my goodness. I don't know how he does that. Yeah, because his brain is like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, no, this is all possible. He's like, well, just because it's possible doesn't mean it's like logical. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) we're all gonna drown and it's gonna be so horrible. And what about my children? And Matson was so calm and don't worry about it. Brittany, yes, I will take care of your children. If you and Tyler both drown in the manta ray dive, you're fine. Like it was it was such a nervous, like 
that was a good example of when my anxiety was getting the best of me. And I yep. totally had a meltdown and panic attack about the mandarin dives, which should have been something fun. Yep. It's that it's hilarious because I do the same thing all the time and he calls me out all the time for it. And it drives me nuts because he's so logical. And none of these things, they've been trained to present logical, right? Like our right. brain thinks they are all valid and they can all be sold. And there's like, there's a possibility, there's a possibility. And when you get down to it, it's like, yeah, there's always a possibility for anything, right? Like, right. It's life. We don't know. However, the emotions are definitely driving that logic train. And he somehow has trained his brain. No, it's just a gift. Okay. It's not, it, it's got we have trained our brain. Yeah. He has the natural instinct <laughs> of that is irrational and you're going too far, which is why he doesn't have anxiety. And we do. Yeah. Millions but, of people survive man ray dives every year. So why would I be the walking, one right? to die <laughs> and drown? I think twice. <laughs> yeah. And leave my children behind for this random redhead. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this random redhead. <laughs> that redhead dude. Oh my goodness. That was hilarious. So that was the example that popped in my head for my own life. Now I can laugh about it, but in the moment it was like it's real it's I was real so panic. intense yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's the crazy thing is all of these thought patterns have been created because they are real and yeah. it's coming from a very real place neurologically which we'll get to in this episode but it's crazy how much our brains have bought into believing these things which we give into all the time right so it's training right. ourselves to not given to those, which is the whole point. The other one that's on here is broken record. That's a fixation thing. So, you know, when you like have a, st- I remember I like used to be the worst of this. I had a stain on my shirt and I would just always be like, there's a stain on my shirt. There's a stain on my shirt. And I just could not let go of my clothes being stained for that day. And I would just be so upset if it got stained for the rest of the day at school. And I'd be like, fixated like people are gonna notice it people are gonna you know gonna say yeah. something and nobody cares no. but you care right and you or can't the big leave it alone on your forehead or yeah. right so this presents for like a bigger anxiety like this test this test or this person or whatever thing and your mind keeps repeating it over and over again until it can't stop it's like beating a dead horse that um old saying where you just can't yeah. find relief in this point where you you need to does that Makes sense. Yeah. And I see this a lot too, like in my son, um, he has OCD. He's been diagnosed with OCD and that broken record just keeps going over and over. Like I don't have my red shoe on today. I don't have my red shoe on today. Like I cannot function because I don't have my red shoe on. So in his mind, it goes into anxiety and I don't know if this fully fits, but it's all day. I will hear, I wore the wrong shoes. I wore the wrong shoes. I'm going to have a horrible day. I wore the wrong shoes. Like OCD is a baby sister of anxiety. OCD is known as like a broken record. Like that's why it's upsetting obsessive compulsive disorder meaning you're obsessing you're fixated you're stuck and you're you're having to do this behavior to compensate for that obsession or fixation so that's why that's a perfect example of it's ocd on a mini scale which we they're related so that's why they okay yeah because i just picture my you know anson is very totally has that typical yeah yeah i do less of that but Uh, Yeah. I mean, I do it, but it's usually like, I have a giant zit. Don't look at my zit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we all do it to some extent, right? Like that's just all these things you can totally see like, oh, I do that. Sometimes I do that sometimes, but we will pick one or two to be our main ones. The last one's spiraling or rabbit holing, which is like what happened at the beginning of when we were talking about overanalyzing and you ended up showing the perfect example where you not only 
not only overanalyzed, but you also went and became like more catastrophizing or more broken record. And it built that way, right? So it's when we slide into a thought process and we go into that. So if we were to get to the example again, us overanalyzing that um, friend situation yesterday, right? Where we went and we're like, oh my goodness, we shouldn't have said that. I'm so sorry. Like, and, and really repeating that. Then we got fixated on a point we stuck at, okay, we like, we shouldn't do it. We're terrible socializers. Why did we do that? We shouldn't have done that. Like we got stuck in a broken record for a second. And then we started catastrophizing. She doesn't like us. Nobody's going to like us. We're just broken socially. <laughs> We're just weird sisters stuck together forever. <laughs> At least we have each other though. We're not alone. <laughs> that's where it's, it, you can see the jump from one to another. Right. And then the spiraling and the rabbit holing. I feel like this is then where I, I always tell you that I'm like a professional Googler because I will spiral on all of these things and I will just Google like crazy. Like how often do, you know, if we use the friend example, uh, you know, did I ruin my friendship because of this? Or I'll totally turn into like a crazy lady. (laughs) Yeah. It's just rabbit holing deeper and deeper and deeper down the Exactly. This is where all the panic attacks come into play. This is where all the everything just kind of happens right and that's where it gets messier is because it's jumping from one to another and it's feeding the fire like you're just adding more to your fire and getting more and more worked up when you can really stop it so that's why whenever I'm teaching about anxiety I want people to understand there are different thought patterns that are created and there are different ways to catch it if you get really good at being like I am catastrophizing right now you can (laughs) slow it down before you're all of a sudden spiraling rabbit holing and being like I gotta google it and make sure that I'm not gonna fail or I got you know like or like the manta ray dives like I remember being in that panic attack and I totally was on google like you know making sure I had everything lined out for my last will and testament (laughs) and we didn't even we didn't even go manta ray diving no. i had that will ready and my kids out of home and it was ridiculous <laughs> but it's so true because we all do this to some extent yeah so when we're talking about anxiety what we're looking for clinically as a therapist is we're looking for the cognitive side cognitive means thought processes right what is it mm-hmm. looking like in your head and how does it sound that's where those five thought processes come into play and that's what i'm always looking for or is okay, they have a pattern of talking to themselves like this and of taking something unknown, uncertain, or um, uncontrollable right? and dealing with it in this way. Because there's always going to be parts in our lives where it's unknown, uncontrollable, and uncertain, right? Oh, yeah. So when they've built those patterns and you can clearly see it, it's a very repetitious, oh, they go to what ifs a lot. They go to catastrophizing a lot, whatever. It shows me that they've built these thought processes up. So they probably have more anxiety than a person like my husband who will sometimes do it, but not not a lot. He can talk to me pretty logically. Well, he'll be like, yeah, I, I mean, this happened at work today, but then it's fine. You know, like he, he, his approach is so different from he can balance it out automatically versus me and you where we'll be like, oh my goodness, this person's going to hate me for forever and we're never going to have friends and right? people are never going to like me. And I'm going to drown and yeah. Your kids are going to go to on fire. random redhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, so that's what we're looking for and kind of how does your brain naturally sort this information if it goes towards those five thought processes you probably are higher in the anxiety scale than said person that doesn't have anxiety the other part that we're looking for i just think this is so cool because it's a physiological based mental health disorder meaning there are 
physical reasons why this is there, like the evolutionary stuff they were just talking about, as well as mental stuff that's backing it up. So whenever we're treating these two, we're looking for treating both sides of those. If you don't help clients get skills for both the somatic, meaning somatic, like we've said in the past episodes, means about physical body symptoms. If you don't like treat them and teach them how to manage those, but you treat them how to manage their thought processes or vice versa, they're not fully treated and they're going to still have a lot of the symptoms just as high or it'll kind of reverse itself and keep doing what it's been doing. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. That's why I'm sitting here icing my feet as we record this. Yeah, Yeah, because your feet are a presentation of that. So we'll explain the feet thing in a second because we both have this one. But what happens, we're going to go nerdy, but I need you to help me not like sound too nerdy so people understand me. All right. So we'll start with the amygdala. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So you talked about fight or flight system earlier, right? Yeah. Did the doctor explain what that was for? So fight or flight is like an instinctive thing that has come in through evolution, right? Like if something was chasing me, trying to kill me, um, I would automatically be able to respond and say, oh no, there is a giant bear chasing me down this street. I need to get away. Um, So it's kind of like that caveman instinct, right? Like trying to protect myself and my babies and keep us safe. Yeah. So you take this wonderful brain of ours. I love the brain. And you can kind of split it in half where there's the old mammalian brain, which like the way they name things is so funny. It's so funny. (laughs) You want your old mammalian brain? Like, come on. (laughs) So the old mammalian brain consists of a lot of the areas that are sensory and we don't think about. They're fully formed as a baby. So when my baby comes out, Banks, right, with his brain little formed, it's going to be fully functioning for him to yell at me, for him to see things and understand the world, right? He's got to be right. able to cry. He's got to be able to, to have emotions and all of that. That's all of your back part of your brain. The front part that understands the world can learn things, get abstract concepts such as like – um you know, two plus two is four, or maybe I shouldn't cross the street when there's a car there, or like Koa learning to not chase chickens across the street because he'll kill himself, right? All Koa's of those your dog. things. For Koa's those, my dog. Yeah. Sorry. For those of you who don't know, he's adorable. <laughs> We're obsessed. But yeah. <laughs> um, all of those skills come from learning. Koa didn't come out of his little puppy mode knowing like, okay, I got to check the street both ways. And if there's a chicken, I can't chase it across the road because there's this huge car that's going to come squish me. Mom had to train him. I had to train him for that, right? Every human being goes through that process too. That's the front part of your brain. So what we're talking about and what we're dealing with today is going to be all in that old mammalian brain. It's located in the back part and it's called the amygdala that we're specifically looking at today. That is the center for fight or flight. Make sense? Yes. Did I lose anybody? Okay. So I, mean, I got you, but <laughs> I, know, I was like, it's okay if I lost you. Uh, so with the fight if or you flight, have questions mm-hmm. about this, like message in and we'll make sure we answer. But. Yes. And there's going to be some resources online too. So check out our site, make sure that you're constantly like, there's going to be graphs and stuff so you can see what I'm talking about. So if you want to kind of ha- pull them up while we're talking about this, it helps clients a lot when they have a visual of what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the amygdala is the part of our brain that can react to whether things are safe or not. And it can determine whether or not we need to be on guard. So we automatically can see if a bear comes in the room, that's very abnormal and that's very alarming. And if that bear is angry, I'm going to be even more freaked out. I love bears. I think they're adorable. However, a bear coming <laughs> in my house. now. 
but not coming in my house, right? They're in yeah. like certain spot, certain place. So if it came in my house, I'd be freaking out. If I was in my car in Yellowstone, I'd be like, look at that bear. There's a difference of anxiety that's going to be triggered. So the fight or flight system gets activated. Our heart rate goes up, our blood increases, and we go into an adrenaline mode where we're trying to protect ourselves. Does that all make right. sense? Yes. People with anxiety, like you and me, have an <laughs> overactive, over-responsive amygdala, meaning yes. he's just super good at his job to the point where he's annoying. Like that kid on the Polar Express that was just really annoying to everybody. <laughs> My husband loves that movie. I mean, I love that movie too, but my husband's pointed out to me multiple times how annoying that little kid with the glasses is. Oh my gosh. And now I'm like, okay, I can't unsee that. (laughs) But it's just very in your face. And it's very much trying to get you to be like, hey, be aware of this, be aware of this. And it over red flags things. Like to the point where I was little, going down a slide was terrifying. Slides are not terrifying. There's nothing wrong with the slide. But in my brain, it was so sensitive to anything that it would start red flagging things that don't make a lot of sense. Yes. And then it ends up with like, I remember before I had gone into the doctor and like really honed in on my anxiety, like I was just exhausted. Yep. Do you remember that? Like I was always in fight or fight or fight or flight mode. And yep. my like body was just drained the vite like first so the somatic side all yes. the like vitamins were depleted my body was just like literally the the battery was yep. burned out there's that a reason was- for that because when you activate the system it activates the sympathetic system meaning all the stuff that you are doing to like keep yourself safe will be in overdrive cortisol levels which runs stress and which runs the adrenaline right yep. is overly exerted meaning it'll it'll start um being the like out of your body i can't think of that word that i want for some reason pregnancy brain's real <laughs> but it starts to get excreted excreted more there you go. Okay. um <laughs> as well as other chemicals that are really that's why it's depleted because your body's in overdrive your metabolism's running higher like things that you don't think about are kind of all shutting off and turning on randomly because it's trying to keep you safe but if you don't tell your body hey i don't need you anymore turn that switch off it's going to be on all the time that's why cortisol fatigue is a thing thyroid issues are a problem for people with anxiety um stomach aches chronic illness like you can look at diabetes is higher autoimmune disorders are higher there's all these things because your body is trying to compensate so much for thinking there's a threat that it doesn't do some of its other basic jobs and you're over exerting it you're overusing certain things that should not be used that much yes i mean which is like my feet right now <laughs> we were... so explain that one yeah. why do your feet hurt Every time that my anxiety and my stress levels go too high, my feet and my tendons just like overreact and they just hurt. Like my body's just like, I don't know if it's like the opposite end of my extremities. So it's like, I don't need those. You can be done. You can actually body map it, which is the coolest thing, but crazy. Um, People with high heavy trauma, they carry it in their hips and their lower back especially women with sexual trauma it's in their lower back um feet like are a thing for i forgot what it represents but for us it shows that we just reached our stress limit right yeah you can start mapping it by i can tell when my shoulders are tight and i'm stressed that way it's work it's always deadlines yep. or work or something it's always different things and then yeah, if it goes my... up my neck then it's like attention for um like failure things like that you can start to map it for this zone of my body hurts 
it's probably related to this subject, but you have to get really good at connecting scenarios that trigger it so you can start oh, yeah. figuring out. But what happens is our body starts to tighten muscles when it's in that adrenaline mode, when it's in fight or flight. Yeah. And my eye. Remember like when my eye was yeah. my light? Or do you remember your, your, pupil di- your pupils would dilate different sizes? They still do that. Yeah. Like when, when I have reached like my wits in, that is a good way for like you know, my sister and those who are close to me, like I will have one pupil that is bigger. I've been checked out. Everything's fine. Yeah, it's not it's a just, neurological thing. No. And I've yeah. gone in and it's, yeah, it's just my body saying, Hey, I've got a problem. And then yeah. I'll get an eye twitch to go with it. <laughs> I do want to give a disclaimer on any physical stuff. Always physio- like get a doctor, a physician to check you out on these things to make sure it's not that. But most of the time when I have my clients come back and they're like, my stomach hurts all the time. I have digestive issues. I have, um, you know, pain here. I have this thing here. I carry this weird. It's usually their anxiety because it's so unchecked. And that's yeah. where you got to make sure that it's not something else. But like insomnia, that's usually an anxiety basing for a lot of my mental health clients. Um, teeth clenching, a lot, of, a lot of my clients will grind their teeth and they'll have the dental issues or picking their hair, ripping it out. All of these things. There's tons and tons. Like I can post the whole list online it's of insane. physical symptoms. Yeah that could possibly be related to anxiety. And if you're keep coming back to the same thing of why is this physical symptom coming up, but you cannot find anything physically wrong with you and doctors can't find anything wrong with you, it's probably because your cortisol and because of your fight or flight system being activated for too long and too much. Yeah. And that's a good sign that you have anxiety that might be a little more like need a little more attention than people who just have anxiety to, you know, stay alive like the little green guy from inside out yeah like sometimes it just comes like my husband has it just when he needs it but he doesn't have these crazy things he'll be like why are you so I don't know broken on certain things it's like because of anxiety you know like got a (laughs) broken tendon I've got you know like weird pains in my lower back all these things and it's it's you can see the wear and tear on your body differ. I'm more prone to autoimmune disorders because of it. I'm more prone to all these other things and genetically too. You know, you just got to kind of be aware of there's a huge repercussion of your physical symptom being out of whack. And if right. you don't check it, then it's going to cause damage to your body. Yeah. And I've seen it too. Like, you know, IBS, they just like, that's a generic thing they've thrown out. And it's my stomach is just a basket case there's some really cool books they talk more ptsd ptsd is a severe version of anxiety the fight or flight system is severely activated right so a lot of what we're talking about with those two are similar but um the body keeps a score is an amazing book and there's another one that i need to post online which i need to find the exact title to because i don't have it in my head all the way but it talks about childhood trauma and all these anxiety things and people getting autoimmune disorders because of it or chronic illness as a result of the stress that's been put on their body since they're little. You see a lot of refugees have this. Like you can just start tracking it through time where the more stress our body's put under, the more likelihood there's going to be a chronic illness or something from it. Which is so crazy. Um, Okay. So the other thing we wanted to talk about in this episode, I don't know if you remember or mentioned this yet, but the sympathetic system. Yeah. So the sympathetic system is the system that's activated when you have anxiety, right? That's the system that's your blood pressure increases, your heart rate increases, your eyesight can go blurry, muscles tense. It's all these things. This is a system that runs your body without thinking of it. It's the one that does the breathing. It's the one that does digestion. It's all these things, right? And it's meant to be, when it's activated, it's meant to save you. The parasympathetic is its opposite, where the both are like, you're not thinking, like I'm thinking when I move my hands and talk sometimes, 
I'm making them move, right? Or I'm making the thoughts come out of my head right now and telling you what I've learned. I'm not thinking about breathing right now. I'm not thinking about digestion right now. I'm not thinking about growing a baby right now. It's just my body's doing all of those things on its own, right? Right. So you're trying to use the two systems together in order to help create a balance. So when it's activating your fight or flight mode, we call upon the hello parasympathetic system to help us calm down. That's the one that we want to zone in on because it's going to take down a lot of the symptoms and it's going to turn that switch off. Does that make sense? Yeah. So sympathetic is when our anxiety is activated and engaged. And then parasympathetic is the cool friend that comes like Madsen and says, calm down. You're not going to die during the manta ray dive. Yes. Okay, exactly. And that's the one that you have to really like activate. That's why we'd say on my teens and I totally get it. I hate deep breaths. I hate breathing. Oh cycles. My I hate gosh. it when they're like, hey, just take like, you know, do box breathing, breathe in by four. Did I, remember, I think I've told you this, like when I used to go see a therapist, like my first, you know, foray yeah. into therapy and he was like, you just need to calm down, like lay on the couch and breathe yeah. for one minute. And I was like, the one minute was the longest Literally. time of and my life. And your brain, but the problem is you're trying to tell your system to calm down, but then your cognitive system, the oh. brain is sitting there being like, like so embarrassed. Like, oh my goodness, what does he think of me? Why do I have to calm down? This is yes. crazy. Like you're overanalyzing. So- and then it's like, how do I breathe? What is the breath? Is this deep enough? How am I calm? Do yep. my feet stink? Like, and everything was just like- Everything. So that's why we're yeah. trying to make sure and we teach people, you do it, both of them together. So when I have clients like- like coming in a little overwhelmed. I talk to him about my dog. I talk to him about my day. I talk to him about whatever it is. Honestly, what I usually do is pull Koa over and be like, look at how cute he is. And we'll start petting yep. his belly and we'll start playing with him. And then I'll just all of a sudden model it for them, the breathing that I want them to do. Because if I sit there and say, take deep breaths, they're going to get panicked. Versus if I just go, <sighs> then they will go, <sighs> Right? right this huge deep sigh and that's what like can really help but telling somebody to take deep breaths is going to activate them even more that's why it, oh my it's gosh, a yeah. catch 22 however this is the crazy thing it does scientifically work because your respiratory system is in the same system as your fight or flight and that got increased when you freaked out when you got activated right, right. so in your head you're thinking it's not going to help no it 100 percent does it's just how we learn the skill and how we implement it will either determine if it's useful or not i tell my clients too, like hold your breath for 10 seconds and let it go do that five times in a row it yeah. works every time because you're counting to 10 you're holding your breath you're not having to count all these patterns or anything like that your brain is distracted you don't feel as stupid doing these deep big breaths and they seem a lot more willing to do that yeah. And we'll dive more into this, like breathing and other ways to help calm our anxiety down in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But this was so great. Like I, I have forgotten the words sympathetic and parasympathetic. So I learned something new today. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I get them backwards. So I did research it before we did this podcast <laughs> to make sure I did not switch them up in my head. But I think the coolest part is understanding that there is this whole unit going on for you. That's not only a thought pattern or not only you know, a physical thing. Cause a lot of times when you're presented with solutions, you're presented with one idea, one concept. And I love that it's not just one thing, it's multiple things together for this one that have kind of affected each other. Cause you can start seeing the one after I explained it, like, oh yeah, I could see even if I like calm my body down and tell it that there's no bear in the room and like start breathing and lower my blood pressure, my mind is still going to wander into what ifs and be like, but what if there is a bear that comes in the room or something like that? Yeah. And if you don't pair them together, you're just going to reactivate all the system all the way. And I think 
the core thing about understanding feelings is we all have them. You would not exist here today if your ancestors did not have this trait. It's been passed on to you unless you have some malfunction in your old mammalian brain, which that is rare, but it does happen. This is a real thing. There was a study. Oh, I thought this was so cool. This lady had a short-term memory. It was done in the 30s. Can I be nerdy for a second longer? Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is a fascinating story, though, because it's kind of like she had a memory, like um, 50 First Dates. Remember? Oh, yeah. Where, or like Dory. Yes. Like Dory, 50 First Dates, yeah. where she would remember 10 seconds, and then she would be done. So every day, her doctor would come and introduce himself and be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. And one day, he decided he was going to see if different parts of her brain were activated. So he went in with a pin in between his fingers when he shook her hand, introduced himself that day, and it poked her. And she freaked out, and she's like, I don't like you. You're not nice. The next day he walked in. I know, it's sad, but it's like a fascinating thing of this is how our brain works. Next day he walks in. She loses it. He didn't have a pin in his hand. He didn't even touch her. He just walked in, and she goes, I don't like you. You're not nice. This lady had remembered. She remembered, but not the way you think it is. She couldn't remember him. She didn't remember his name. She didn't remember she'd ever met him. The part of her brain remembered that that thing, whatever it was, is unsafe because that part of her brain, the amygdala, was protected, right? The thing that red flags for us is in a different part than what our short-term memory is. And whatever has happened in our life, even if we don't remember it, if I fell down when I was two, if I had something happen when I was younger, I may not be able to verbalize why it's a problem for me. But I just know in my gut that it doesn't feel right. I just know in my head that something's off. And it's because that part of your brain has been trained. So whenever I have clients come up with a phobia, come up with like anything, we try and dig as far back as we can. And sometimes we can't find the specific pinpoint, but we say, well, your brain learned it somehow. So we have to teach it that it's okay. We have to re like show it that not every time a doctor comes in, you're going to get poked in the finger, right? Right. And that's the cool thing about our brains is, they are constantly learning learning new things, but you don't know what got programmed. It's kind of like a computer that programs itself. You just That's so cool. Like our right? brain has the pieces for most of us there. It just has to kind of be enabled. Yes. There's also this study too. I'm getting really nerdy, but where um, somebody had their occipital lobe no longer working, meaning that they couldn't project what their eyes saw anymore into their brain. So their eyes still worked, but because the back part of their brain that could project the images wasn't computing that information anymore and wasn't presenting it, the brain could sense that there is something I'm going to run into that is unsafe. And it would send that message to the amygdala, but the occipital lobe, which would send the actual picture of the chair, would then be like, we don't know what it is. So just don't run into that. And it would move, the person would move around those objects. That's so cool. I know there's tons of workarounds. So that's why if there's something in your your processing, we can usually figure it out and help you kind of be able to manage it without being triggered all the time. It just takes a lot of awareness. Yeah. I love that though. Like our brain is so, I mean, literally it's smart. <laughs> like It's a computer. Yeah. That's always a- learning. I love that. I know. That's why kids are scary. <laughs> all the information they take in and all the things that they process and then what you have to be able to they just their their brain is a bigger computer than our brain because they have even more neural pathways than we do and eventually they start to get cut off and stunted as you grow older and older that's why kids pick up things so quickly because they have so much that they're learning so fast yeah amen to that my seven-year-old has all yeah he knows all the things i know and he he remembers the weirdest stuff really does supply and demand he can quote that 
also singing the Charmin Ultra jingle. So, you know. Love him. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today about what anxiety was and um, kind of what it looks. Well, I guess next time we're going to talk about what it looks like. But what yeah, we're going to talk is. about actual behaviors next time. So how does it present? Like, how does all the nerdiness that I gave you today present into real life application which there's a ton of it it's just yeah if I lost you go to that one so you can connect it all yeah and I know we kind of touched on some of it but hang in there the next episode is really going to help you kind of apply all of the science that we talked about in this episode yes so thanks for chatting with us today and you're welcome we'll catch you next time find us on social media through our haunted counseling and we're on spotify and apple